And by the way, I don't know how to pronounce any of those names of the Hebrew alphabet. Can you see the, uh, can, you can see on your sheet, they have names. Each letter has a name. I, I don't know if my pronunciation of those names is, is correct or not, but you, you'll get the idea. We're in Psalm 119. But before we start, let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your goodness toward us. Thank you for your word. We pray that as we explore this wonderful chapter and its rich treasures, Lord, may we leave tonight with a greater appreciation and a greater love and a greater passion and a greater desire to study your word, walk in your word, live in your word, and obey your word. We thank you, Father, for the scriptures. Tonight, Lord, we want to honor you and the special gift that we have, our Bible. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in medieval England, there was a custom. Before a convicted criminal swung from the gallows, he would have a clergyman read him a psalm. Well, when George Wishart was ready to be hung, he chose Psalm 119. George had a little Bible knowledge under his belt. And so he chose the longest chapter of the Bible. Psalm 119, 176 verses. The story goes that two-thirds of the way through the reading of the psalm, a pardon came freeing George Wizard. George's knowledge of the Bible saved his life. If old George had slipped up and chosen Psalm 117, he'd have been dead meat in a few seconds. George Wishart, though, is not the only man who's been saved by Psalm 119. Many a man has been rescued and saved and transformed by this psalm, not necessarily by its length, but by its content. Psalm 119 is the Bible on the Bible. It's all about the Word of God. In fact, ten synonyms are used in, the, in Psalm 119 for the Bible. It's called the law. The way, precepts, the testimony, the word, the commandments, the judgments, the sayings, the statutes, the truth. You know, one of the TV shows I watched as a kid was The Guns of Will Sonnet. Anybody remember The Guns of Will Sonnet? What a great show. It starred Walter Brennan, who next to John Wayne was probably my favorite actor. He played this grisly old coot who always had a, he had a famous saying. He said, no brag, just fact. In essence, if you can back it up, man, it ain't bragging. Well, that's how I see the 119th Psalm. For 176 verses, the Bible brags on the Bible. It sings its own praise, and it's all true. No brag, just fact. Psalm 119 is also an acrostic. It's divided into 22 sections, 8 verses each. 8 times 22 is 176, and each section, and then each verse within that section begins with a succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew alphabet begins with the letter Aleph. The second letter is Bet. Put the two together, Aleph and Bet, and you get alphabet. That's how we get the word. Also, in Hebrew... Each letter is illustrated by a picture. And tonight we'll touch on the letters and their pictures. Psalm 119 is the ABCs of Scripture. Let me suggest you use your sheet tonight. You can jot down the picture that goes with each of the letters and walk away with a rich treasure tonight. Well, the first letter, as we said, is the letter Aleph. Everybody got it? Right there, the top right-hand corner. Aleph in the Hebrew is depicted as an ox, a beast of burden. And listen, my friend, if you'll let the Bible carry your burdens, it will do a good job. If you'll learn to lean on its wisdom, if you'll trust in its knowledge, the Bible can be your burden bearer. Verse 1 begins, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed, notice the double blessing here are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. 
Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. Notice that. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. We need direction in life, do we not? We need guidance in life. I read a quote this past week from Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby said, Women don't want to hear what you think. They just want to hear what they think in a deeper voice. Well, that's not true of women, not just true of women, that's also true of all of us. We like people to agree with us. You know, we like to hear what we think, not necessarily what God thinks or what others think. The purpose of the Bible isn't just to confirm what you think. It's God's means of directing our steps and renewing our minds and shaping our lives. We all need direction, and the Bible provides it for us, God's direction. Notice, too, the psalmist's desire in verse 6 is to look into, notice, all your commandments. He's not content with just a little here and a little there. Paul reminded the Ephesian elders before he left them that he had given to them the whole counsel of God. And this is the psalmist's desire, to know all of God's Word, the whole Bible. You know, my former pastor, he would sort of skip around in the Bible. He had his pet passages, and over the course of a year or so, he'd preach, you know, on those favorite passages. Other chapters, though, he would avoid like the plague. The net effect was twofold. I didn't know the Bible in its context, and there were some huge pieces missing from my theology. I had what I call a Dalmatian theology. All I knew was a spot here and a spot there. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. He writes, The Word of God, well understood and religiously obeyed, is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. I believe that. We need all of the Word of God. That's what we do on Sunday nights. We go verse by verse from Genesis to Revelation. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 tells us, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. Well, the psalmist continues, I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Well, the second stanza of Psalm 119 begins in verse 9 with the letter bet, which is depicted as a house. Bet means house. Betshan, the house of. Betseda, the house of Seda. Bet means house. And the Bible provides us a house. In fact, the Bible is our direction's home, is it not? To God's house. The Scripture is our stairway to heaven. It takes us home to God. It is a house for us as well. And verse 9 begins by posing an intriguing question. I love this question. He says, how can a young man cleanse his way? Now notice he didn't say, how can a little child cleanse his way? Or how can old grandma cleanse her way? Now, I mean, little kids and grandmas, they're not the most notorious sinners, are they? I mean, what's the big deal if a little child or a, a grandma cleanses her way? Oh, but young men. Notice he says, how can a young man? Young men, oh my. If anyone needs their way cleaned up, it's a young man. It's adolescent males. These are the hotheads. These are the guys that are cocky and reckless and hormonal and stubborn and impulsive. If you can cleanse the way of a young man, you can affect anyone. And what performs this kind of industrial cleansing? By taking heed according to your word. Guys, only the Bible has the power to cleanse a young man's way. Only the Bible can renew your mind and transform your character and tame your lusts and create a new outlook and break old habits and produce a sensitivity and spawn self-discipline and refocus your priorities and develop a strong faith. Only the Bible can do those things. Hey, there are a thousand shortcuts. There's always some spiritual fad that promises instant results. 
Our only hope, though, is a steady diet of God's Word. You know, D.L. Moody said that he prayed and he prayed and he prayed for more faith. He prayed for an increased faith until he was blue in the face, but it never came. Then one day he stumbled over Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. He said he picked up his Bible and started reading, and faith has been growing ever since. The Bible builds a strong faith that has the power to change our lives. Get into the Word. Let it cleanse your way as well. well verse 10 tells us, With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Notice you've got to stay, not wander. God's Word is powerful, but the key is heeding what it says with your whole heart. To not just flirt with the Bible, but to embrace it, to heed it, to love the Word with all you've got. Thomas Aquinas said, I have no rest but in a nook with the book. Psalm 119 verse 11 is a verse I learned as a child. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I like that. You know, the Bible is like a road map. You know, if you're in a strange city, you don't just read the map one time and then throw it away. You keep that map with you. You keep it in your back pocket as you walk around, as you tour the city. Recently, we had the opportunity, the pastors and I had an opportunity to visit London. And, and the whole day, I was walking around. I had my map stuck in my back pocket. And every time we'd turn a corner, I'd pull that map out and I'd check my bearings just to make sure I was headed in the right direction. This is how you need to use your Bible. You need to keep it in your back pocket. You need to hide it in your heart. You need to consult it often. It, it'll help you keep your bearings around every corner in every turn. He says, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I mean, God's word means more to him than all the wealth in the world. Sadly, the Bible is a treasure chest that many people never open and never spend. He says, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now, the third stanza begins with this letter here, the Gamel, right here. And the picture that goes with that letter is the picture of a camel. You know, a camel is made for the desert. It endures the drought of the wilderness with a minimal need for water. And likewise, the person who drinks up, who slurps up God's Word, can go a long time and can endure spiritually dry and thirsty and dusty places. The person who's full of God's Word has a great endurance. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your Word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Have you prayed that prayer? Before you sit down and read your Bible, do you pray that? Lord, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your word. You know, the psalmist knows that he needs God's help to get the most out of God's word. And this is also true of you. The Bible is the only book that brings with it the author to help you understand the innuendos and the insights. This is why to fully appreciate the Word of God, you always need to ask for the help of the Spirit of God. He says, I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. Notice the psalmist has become addicted to God's Word. His soul breaks with longing. You know, the Bible is the only positive addiction that I can commend to you tonight. All other addictions drag you down, ruin your life. But the Bible is the one positive addiction that will build into your life and strengthen your life. Verse 21 reads, You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me. But your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. I like that. The Word of God is the psalmist's counselor. You know, the psalmist believed that God's Word had the answer for every problem he encountered. 
He believed that the Bible was sufficient for spiritual health and emotional happiness. He needed no other counselor than the Bible. I think this has been the church's belief through most of its history, through 2,000 years of history up until just recent times. The church has believed that the Bible is sufficient, that the Bible is enough. The Bible is all we need. Sadly, though, for the first time in 2,000 years, the modern church has assumed that the Scriptures are not enough. And we've come to a place where we supplement the Scriptures with psychology. The belief today is that the Christian needs a couch as well as a Christ. Freud as well as faith. I say hogwash. Certainly the Bible isn't the exhaustive index of all knowledge. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us how to build a rocket or change the plumbing fixtures and toilet. But when it comes to spiritual and emotional health, the Bible is the authoritative source. The Bible applied correctly and skillfully to a person's life is all the help you need to affect spiritual and emotional wellness in your life. Please don't be duped into thinking that you need more than faith and understanding and obedience to God's Word. Make the Bible your delight. Make it your counselor. Expand and stretch your faith in God's Word, and you won't need a shrink. Get that? Expand your knowledge of God's Word, and you won't need a shrink. I I knew you didn't get that. That's why you didn't laugh. So That's why I went back and said it again to get those few chuckles I was expecting. Few, very few chuckles. Well, the fourth stanza begins with the Daleth, which is depicted as a door. The Bible, oh my, what a great picture for the Bible. It is the door that opens up into a world of blessing through which we can walk into God's truth. He says, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statues. Notice this, my soul clings to the dust. Isn't this the human tendency? I mean, the human soul tends to to cling to the dust. It, it, tends to, it tends to gravitate downward rather than upward. I, I think hum, humans are subject to soul gravity. I mean, this world just sort of pulls us down, down, down to the dust. It's the Bible, though, that revives us and gives us a Godward trajectory and gives us wings to allow us to soar up, up, up. It elevates our lives. He says, make me understand the way of your precepts, so shall I meditate on your wondrous works. I'm afraid that Christian meditation is a lost art in the church today. You know, Eastern meditation is what people seem to be into, but Eastern meditation is the closing of your mind. In Eastern meditation, the idea is to turn off your thoughts and focus on just a single word or maybe a narrow spot. Christian meditation, though, is just the opposite. It expands your mind. It's an avenue of understanding. It's the opening up of your mind to all of God's truth, to new truths, to the wondrous works of God. How we need to revive Christian meditation. The idea of opening up our minds to the things of God, to meditate on His wondrous works. He says, my soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying. Oh, my. Shouldn't we all pray that? Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. Notice the psalmist clings to the Scriptures. He probably had a really well-worn Bible. Just really wore it out. It was a used Bible. It wasn't just sitting on the shelf collecting dust. Let me ask you to look down at your Bible. Has it barely been open lately? I mean, are there places in your Bible where where the pages are are still brand new? Now, maybe you just got a new Bible, and and you get a mulligan for that. But how worn is your Bible? Is it a well-worn Bible? I love the old saying, a Bible that's falling apart is an indication of a life that's not. 
Verse 32 is a great verse that brings up some provocative questions. He says, I will run the course of your commandments. I will run the course of your commandments. Have you ever allowed the Bible to run its course in your life? Think about that. Have you allowed the Bible to run its course? I mean, you started out reading it, and then you studied it, and then you meditated on it, and then you applied it, and then you let it shape your thinking, and it affected your desires, and then it altered your actions, and it changed your lifestyle, and it even affected your friendships. When you let the Bible run its course, then look for its effects. I think you'll be pleased. It it enlarges your heart, the psalmist says. When you let it run its course, it will enlarge your heart. Let the Bible have its effect. The Word of God is like a seed that has to be planted and watered before it grows. You can't rush the process. You have to let it run its course. Let the Bible run its course and you won't be disappointed. It will enlarge your life. The impatient person, after instant results, is the one who never grasps the Bible's benefits because he never lets the process take place in his life. Well, the fifth stanza begins with the Hebrew letter he, which is illustrated by a window. The door and the window stand side by side. You know, the door allows me to walk into God's presence. The window allows me to peer into his secrets through the door and the window I can know the ways and the whys of God. He says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Notice, again, the Bible demands our whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Oh, wow. The psalmist has been talking about the wondrous works of God. Yet in contrast, how much time has he spent occupied with worthless things? I went home this afternoon and I turned on the Lakers and Utah Jazz. Pretty worthless game. But my eyes weren't open very long because they closed and I went to sleep. And I woke up about 5.30. So I didn't look at worthless things for too long. Just sort of to get me in a good napping mode. But let me ask you, how often do you look at worthless things? It's one thing to, to be subjected to the, to the filth and to the uh, unbelief of the world. But, but if for no other reason, then the time you spend on worthless things is time that you can't spend on the good stuff, God's Word. That's all the more reason to turn away from worthless things. I read where the average Christian spends nine years of his or her life watching television. Nine years. While in contrast, we spend about four years reading the Bible. And that's an avid Bible reader. It's said that the average reader can read through the Bible from cover to cover in about 71 hours. So if you want to go home and start tonight, we'll call you on Thursday and see how you've done. But, but maybe you don't want to just sit down and read it all at one time. 71 hours, though, is what it takes. Divide that up over 365 days. And did you know that you can read the entire Bible in one year by taking just 12 minutes a day? Just 12 minutes. Doesn't take much. Just setting aside a few worthless things to focus in on the one thing that's most important. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Well, the next stanza starts with this letter Wa, which is depicted by a nail or a peg. In other words, the Bible can be trusted. It's the hook 
on the pegboard. You can hang your hat on God's Word. You can hook your life to the Bible. It will support you. He says, let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I mean, his compliance with God's word has given him confidence even before men. He says, I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. The Bible is the highest authority. It trumps even the king, he says. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Live the Bible and you'll never be ashamed. I think of Martin Luther who stood there before the king. And he says, you know, I can do no other and stand on the righteousness of God and on the word of God. Whether it be before kings, whether it be before princes, I have a higher authority, and that's God's word. Well, the next stanza begins with the Hebrew letter Zayin. It's illustrated as a weapon. In Ephesians 6, verse 17, Paul calls the Bible the sword of the Spirit. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, a weapon. You know, the Word of God is like a surgical knife that lays bare the reader's motive and intention. It's good for us. But it's also a lethal weapon that will slit the throat of the devil and his legions. Verse 49, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. Notice that. How often has the Bible been a comfort in your affliction? Many times for me. The word of God has been strength. It's it's comforted me in those down times, in those troubled times. It's given me life. Boy, how can we, we can relate to the psalmist? You think of the patient in the hospital. You think of the prisoner in the jail cell. You think of the soldier in battle who's picked up the word in a time of affliction and it's brought him comfort and strength. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Proud men have mocked the Bible, but the psalmist has remained unmoved. He says, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. You know, sometimes a passage of Scripture brings such comfort to us, it speaks to us so personally and so powerfully. We've leaned on it so totally that we consider it our own. It's mine. Have you ever felt that way about a verse of Scripture? That one's mine. People talk about, that's my life verse. That's my verse right there. It's amazing how the Bible comes alive in such a way to where we think it's God has spoken it straight. To, and He has. He has. He has spoken it straight to us. It's become His personal promise to us. It's wonderful when God personalizes a passage to our hearts. It's mine, the psalmist says. It was written by God especially for him. Now the eighth stanza begins with the letter heth, heth, or fence. And the Bible is a protective fence around our lives. The Bible stakes out our parameters. Not to hem us in, not to rob us of our freedom, but to keep the harmful dangers at bay. You see, the Bible is not God's attempt to squelch our fun. It's God's attempt to protect us from the danger that lurks to do us harm. Well, verse 57 tells us, You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste 
and did not delay to keep your commandments. Notice this. The psalmist doesn't procrastinate. He makes haste to get into the Word, to obey God's Word. Hey, if you see tonight where your life is out of sync with the Word of God, you need to make an adjustment today. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. You need to make haste to obey His commandments. I like this little poem. It's called Tomorrow. Tomorrow, He promised His conscience. Tomorrow, I mean to believe. Tomorrow, I'll think as I ought to. Tomorrow, the Savior receive. Tomorrow, I'll conquer those habits which hold me from heaven away. But if ever God's Spirit insisted one word and one word only, today. Tomorrow, 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 thus day after day it went on. Tomorrow, 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 till youth like a vision had gone and age with its passions had written the message of fate on his brow and out of the shadows came death with his pitiless syllable now. Well, verse 61, the cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. And you find God's statutes in his word. The next stanza begins with the letter Teth, which is depicted by a serpent. You know, the Word of God, like a serpent, strikes quickly. It injects the venom of conviction. He says, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your Word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. In other words, indoctrinate my mind. Indoctrinate my heart, Lord, in the Bible, so that over time it will produce wisdom, and good judgment. You know, people who've just been in the Word year after year, year after year, just have made it a discipline in their life just to come to the Bible studies, just to be in the Word. Every day they get up, they read a a passage in the morning, they're in the Word daily. People that are just in the Word, over time, they develop good judgment. They, They just develop a wisdom about life. People who are not in the Word, they're the people that are still trying to figure things out. The Word of God over time produces good judgment. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your Word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. I mean, how do you stay lean? Well, you... Avoid the fat of insensitivity. How do you stay trim and in tip-top shape spiritually? By delighting in God's Word. He says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Sometimes trouble is good for you because it drives you back to God's Word. And our Bible can't collect little dust until suddenly we run into trouble. And we go back instinctively to the Word. We need its wisdom. We need its strength. You know, we need good judgment. Sometimes trouble can drive us to the Word. It's been said trouble can get us into the Word, and the Word can get us out of trouble. He says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Once again, the truth of God's Word is more valuable than money. Now, the next stanza begins with this little letter. See it? The Yod. And this shouldn't ring a bell. This is the letter that Jesus referred to in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, when he said, Till heaven and earth pass away, one yod, one jot or yod or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. What he's saying there, you notice that the, uh, where'd it go? Notice the yod. There it is. Thanks, Lissa. The yod is the smallest of all the letters, is it not? And the tittle, see the little tittle? That's the smallest stroke on the smallest letter. 
What Jesus is saying is not just the letters, but the smallest letters, and not just the smallest letters, but the smallest strokes on the smallest letters are going to abide forever. None of God's word, none of it can fail. It's forever. It's eternal. It will be fulfilled. The letter Yod is formed by this single little stroke, tiny little slash. Sometimes the Yod looks like a slip of the pen. Jesus is saying that, Every part of the Bible, not just the words, but the letters, not just the letters, but the strokes, every stroke is inspired by him. And the graphic for the yod is a hand, a hand. Notice how this stanza begins, in fact, verse 73. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Did you know that every human being has been handmade, handmade by God. God fashions you even in your mother's womb. And if God made me, then it's logical that he knows best how I should function, how I should live my life. This is why his word is the perfect recipe for living. He says, those who fear you will be glad when they see me. Because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servant. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood, but I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. Now, the tenth stanza begins with the letter Kaf, which is is symbolized by the wing, a dove with two wings. The Word of God gives us wings to soar spiritually, to soar upward toward God. Verse 81 begins, My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. This is my wings. The word of God is what lifts me when I'm down. My eyes fail from searching your word saying, When will you comfort me? The psalmist's eyes, notice, have grown tired from studying the word. He says, For I have become like a wineskin in smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. Back in the old days, before the ban on smoking in most restaurants, whenever you walked into the Waffle House, there was always this cloud of cigarette smoke sort of hanging in the air. It's kind of like eating your breakfast in a chimney. And the smoke would always get on my clothes. It would kind of get into my clothes. And Kathy always knew where I'd been. She'd walk by me, take a whiff, and say, been to the Waffle House, huh? Yeah, honey, I have. Well, the psalmist feels the same way about living in the world. The odor of sin has soiled his clothes. He feels like a wineskin in smoke. He's like a flask that has absorbed the smoke of the world around him. Verse 84, how many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. All your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. They almost made an end of me on earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your word. You know, how do you get the smoke out of your clothes? You have to, you have to work hard at it, don't you? He, here he's saying, if you want to get the smoke out of the world, out of your life, study God's precepts. Apply God's testimonies to your life. Think God's thoughts. Get into the Word. Well, the next stanza begins with the letter Lamed, which is symbolized as an ox goad or as a cattle prodder. You know what a cattle prodder does? This is what you, uh, this is what you use on your teenagers right here. Not really, but you, you would like to sometimes. You know, at times, the Word gives you wings to help you soar. At other times, the Word of God is a set of spurs that nudge you and push you along, prod you along. Verse 89, forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. 
What a great verse. Men shoot at the Bible, but their bullets just bounce right off. God's word is settled in heaven. It's unfazed by what men might say, what might happen here on earth. The Bible will last forever. It has been settled in heaven. You know, much has been made of the French skeptic Voltaire, who made the boast, in 50 years, I'll have this book, meaning the Bible, in the morgue. Well, 50 years later, Voltaire was dead, and the Geneva Bible Society was using his house to store their inventory of Bibles. The Bible has overcome its critics. It's overcome its enemies. The Word has been settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You established the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances. For all are your servants. As sure as the sun rises, God's Word will abide. He says, unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Man, when you experience the life-giving power of God's Word, it's freeing. It's liberating. You'll never abandon the Scriptures. You'll never forget it. He says, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Notice here, the Bible uh, is a prophetic book. The Bible is a portal into the future. Notice God's Word lets us see the consummation of all perfection. In other words, we know how the story is going to end because we can go to the book of Revelation, we can read the last chapter, we can discover the cons- how, the cons- how it's all going to be consummated, how all this is going to turn out. We can see into the future because of God's Word. And we see that in the end, Jesus Christ is on the throne. Well, the 13th stanza of the psalm begins with the Hebrew letter mem, or water. And of course, according to Ephesians 5, God's word is like the washing of water. Reminds me of the man who complained that when he read the Bible, he could never remember what he'd read. Well, his pastor commented, he said, don't worry. When you pour water through a sieve, it doesn't hold much, but at least you end up with a clean sieve. True of the Word. I mean, nothing else washes your soul and your mind and your heart and your outlook like the rushing of God's Word upon your life, like water pouring over your life. Whether you remember a whole lot or not, at least you're being cleansed every time you read it. Verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. But notice this. The guy who knows the Bible has an advantage. He has an advantage over his enemies. He has a source of wisdom that his enemies know nothing about. He's going to have a sharper perspective. He's going to have more wisdom. He's going to have the edge over his enemies. He said, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. He's, He's smarter than his teachers because he knows God's Word. It reminds me of Jesus when he was 12 years old and he went to the temple. And there all of the Talmudic scholars, you know, they they were amazed at the wisdom of this child. Why? Because he knew the word. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. It's amazing. A young man can eclipse the wisdom of the ancients and the elders by availing himself early in his life to the Word of God. The best thing you can do for your young, young men and young ladies is to get them into God's Word. The Bible becomes a shortcut to wisdom. He says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your Word. Notice sin and Scripture are like, like ends on the magnet. Sin and Scripture repel each other. Harbor sin in your heart, and it'll keep you from understanding the Bible. And the Bible will keep you from harboring sin. They repel each other. I like the old adage, the Bible keeps you from sin, and sin will keep you from the Bible. 
I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Here's the cure for sweet tooth. Just get into the word. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Now the next stanza begins with the Hebrew letter nun, which is depicted by a fish. Notice the fish on, by the ocean there. You get, I thought that was funny. You get that? It's a cooked fish. It's a fish and chips. But it's by the ocean, kind of on the beach there, you know, fish. I thought that was really funny. Once again, you didn't. You know, it's interesting. The fish was a symbol for the early church. It was called the ichthus. The Greek word for fish is an acrostic for the saying, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And so the fish sort of became a symbol for the church. Notice verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. Think of the Bible as headlights. It's the headlights on your life. You know, driving at night, driving your car at night without headlights, it's not only dangerous for you, but it's also dangerous for others. The person who's who not living according to the word, he becomes a lethal threat to the people around him. It's not just that he's subject to danger, he becomes a danger. We need the headlights, not just for us to see, but for people to be able to see and, and to judge us where we're headed. He says, I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the freewill offerings of my mouth. O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. God's word became his protection. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. Now the next letter is the Semek, which is illustrated by a prop or a support. And what a fitting symbol for the scripture. It props up those who trust in its promises. And he begins, I hate the double-minded but I love your law. The double-minded, who are they? They're the people who have one foot in the Word and one foot in the world. You know people like this. They can't make up their mind. They're neither hot nor cold. They're what the Bible calls lukewarm. And you know from other scriptures, God is going to spit them out of His mouth. He says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up and I shall be safe. And I shall observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. Here the psalmist is referring to the smelting process, smelting a metal. You know, when a metal is purified, it's heated to intense temperatures. And under the heat, the impurities and scum sort of rise to the top where they're then scraped off the surface. This is how God purges us and, and cleans the scum and the dross from our lives. He puts us in a trial. He turns up the temperature until the impurities begin to rise to the surface. And that's when he just scrapes them off the top and he cleanses us. Here the man of God who strays from God's word is compared to the dross or the scum. He says, this is why the psalmist, he continues here in verse 20, 120. He says, my flesh trembles for fear of you and I am afraid of your judgments. Boy, the lukewarm gets spit out. The impure gets scraped off. Better to be pure. Better to be on fire for God. We need to fear His judgments. Now the next letter is the ayin, which means vision. And I believe in dreams 
and in visions. Like I said this morning, I believe in miracles. But by far, the best vision from God is His Word. And remember, visions and dreams are always subject to God's Word. God's Spirit is not going to get confused. God's Spirit is not going to have said one thing in the Word and then say something else in a dream or a vision. You'll always have a congruence. There'll always be a, a synchronization between any vision or any dream and the Word of God. It's the same Spirit who authors both. Now verse 121 says, I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the proud oppress me. My eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Here the psalmist cries out for God to vindicate his word. And this will happen. For some folks, it will take place at the end of the age. He says, therefore, I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. The Bible is the authority on whatever subject it addresses. History or psychology or theology or science. He says, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. Now, the next stanza begins with the, the P, which is depicted as a mouth. The Bible is God's mouthpiece. You know, when you open the Bible, it, it, you're hearing straight from God's mouth. It's the means by which God trumpets His truth. He says, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. In one sense, the Bible is a simple book for simple folks. Did you know that classical Greek had a vocabulary of almost 98,000 words? Yet the Greek New Testament utilized less than 6,000. It was written with a very small vocabulary. The English language consists of 400,000 non-technical words. And yet it took just 6,000 words to translate the King James Version of the Bible. The Bible isn't a complicated book. Simple folks can understand the simple words of God. It's been said the Bible is so deep, theologians can never touch bottom, yet so shallow that babies can never drown. It's true. He says, I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me, as your custom is toward those who love your name. You know, i got to go back to that. You know, you don't have to have a, a long degrees after your name. You don't have to have a lot of education to understand the Bible. The Bible is such a simple book. God puts the cookies on the bottom shelf, does he not? He puts them down where anybody can reach them. You just have to have a pure heart. A love for God, an open mind, a compliant spirit. That's what's needed. Notice here we just read, as your custom is toward those who love your name. Be merciful to me as your custom is. I love that. Did you know God's custom? It's his custom to be merciful. It's just what he's in the habit of doing. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. Have you ever shed a tear over the neglect for the Bible? We should. It's really the source of all of our problems. The next letter is the Sade, which means surrender. A stubborn man is forced to surrender his will when he's conquered by the message of God's word. He says, righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies, which you have commanded, are righteous and very faithful. My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. 
I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is as an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. The next stanza begins with the quaff, or the axe head. At times, God's word comes down with the subtlety of an axe. At times, it just hammers home the truth to us. He says, I cried out with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies. I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Both day and night, I read God's word. I consult its wisdom. He says, hear my voice according to your loving kindness, O Lord. Revive me according to your justice. They draw near who follow after wickedness. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Concerning your testimonies, I have known of old that you have founded them forever. The 20th stanza begins with the letter Resh, which is symbolized by a head. And God's word was head over Israel as it is also the head or the authority over our lives as well. Verse 153. Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Notice nine times in Psalm 119 the psalmist calls on God, God's word to revive him. The Bible has resuscitating, reviving powers. It can relight a spark. It can ignite a flame that's just about snuffed out. The Bible can set us on fire again for God. He says, salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet I do not turn from your testimonies. I see the treacherous and am disgusted because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. And pay close attention here to verse 160. He says, the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Notice the entirety of your word. Every one of the Bible's 66 books, every one of its 1,189 chapters, every one of its 31,173 verses, every one of its words, every one of its letters, every one of the strokes on the letters are inerrant and infallible and totally trustworthy. The entirety of God's word is truth. The next stanza begins with the letter Shin, which is depicted by a tooth. And God's word will dig in. It'll dig into your life. It'll make a difference. Princes persecuted me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. The psalmist stands before the prince of the royal family, but it's not the prince that strikes awe in his heart. He's overwhelmed with the word. He says, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Boy, you hear lies today from every direction, from the media, from the professors at school, from the political pundits, from the politicians, from all of the so-called experts. It's lies, lies, lies. The only source of truth is the Bible. It's all you can trust in. He loves, and the psalmist here, he loves the law. He hates the lies, but he loves the law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Now the final stanza we're going to make it. We're getting down to the end here. We're going to make it. The final stanza of Psalm 119 begins with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the Ta, which is symbolized as a mark. You know, you make your mark. It's been said it's good to mark your Bible, but it's better to let your Bible mark you. Verse 169. 
Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. Have you chosen God's precepts? Have you chosen the word of God as the means by which you are going to live your life? Have you made this book your God, your authority? God's way is best. He says, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise you, and let your judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Tonight, I hope God's word will be your delight. It's a wonderful book. The Word of God has treasures that can never be exhaustive. Psalm 119, the Bible on the Bible. Hey, no brag, just fact. Father, thank you for your Word. Lord, help us to hide it in our hearts. Treasure it. Share it. Love it, study it, listen to it, allow it to direct and guide us. We thank you for your word. May we be students of it. May we keep it close by our side like a road map in our back pocket. May we hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.